Welcome to the Erectile Dysfunction Radio Podcast. This is the podcast dedicated to educating and empowering men to address erectile dysfunction, improve confidence, and enhance the satisfaction in their relationships. This podcast is brought to you by ErectionIQ.com. Learn more at ErectionIQ.com. Welcome to the Erectile Dysfunction Radio Podcast. I am Mark Goldberg, Certified Sex Therapist. I am deeply passionate about working with men like you to help resolve their ED. Today we are joined by Dr. Landon Trost. Dr. Trost is a board-certified urologist practicing in Utah. He specializes in fertility and Peyronie's disease. He is a well-published author and researcher and has been involved with the development of several urologic devices in the erection space. Dr. Trost is joining us to share his expertise in some of the topics that men worry about the most, leading to anxiety and performance issues. Dr. Trost, thank you very much for joining us. My pleasure. Thanks for having me, Mark. So today's topic is about penis and erection length, what's considered normal, what can be done to address concerns about men who feel like or may actually be too small. Before we get into the topic, though, can you share with us just a little bit about your practice? Yeah, so so previously I was up at uh, Mayo Clinic in Rochester and and was the head of andrology there, which basically specializes in everything male fertility and sexual medicine. So erectile dysfunction, testosterone, peronies. As as the practice grew, we we brought on more people on board and I started to subspecialize just in peronies disease and male infertility. And about three and a half years ago, uh, left to start our own practice at my wife's request, um, just because of how busy things were at Mayo. And so now we just treat peronies disease and uh, male infertility. Okay, we are, you know, advocates of uh, relationship health as well. So we can definitely appreciate you, know, you having to make a move to accommodate family and relationship needs. Now, Dr. Trust, what what is considered a normal size, a normal length and a normal girth of an erection? Well, it's kind of a, a tougher question to answer accurately, just because when you look online, like, let's say you go into Google and you type that in you'll get these various algorithms and they'll say, you know, roughly five inches is kind of a normal penile length, you know, 5.1 inches or somewhere in there. And, you know, the standard deviations, you know, fifth and 95th percentiles down in the three range and up in the six range. But it's tough because it depends how you measure it. And measuring a true erect length is really difficult to do. And so usually in the office, we'll use a surrogate, which is stretched length. And the way that technically we, we try to keep it standardized is we push all the way to the pubic symphysis and then we'll we'll go out toward the head of the penis, towards the rim or the corona, and we'll call that the length. But so you have to keep that in mind. When you're looking at anything online, what's the method that they use? Did they go to the tip? Did they push the kind of that super pubic fat pad in? Um, or are they just looking at visual erect length? Uh, because a lot of times when someone feels like they've lost length, they're talking about like the visualized portion that they see with an erection or flaccid but they're not necessarily looking at the, the true stretch length if you pushed all the way into the pubic symphysis into the head. So, so I know that's kind of a roundabout answer, but, um, but, but it's tricky. It also matters regionally. Like if you look at, at someone from kind of Southeast Asia versus Europe versus Africa versus North America, you're going to get different lengths as well. So, you know, what is normal? Well, you know, what's your background? What's your, what's your heritage? And, uh, you know, what have you had done? Have you had, do you have diabetes? Have you had a prostatectomy? Do you have Peyronie's disease? You know, there's different normals within each of these categories. Yeah, tremendous amount of variation. So, Dr. Trust, I, I just want to be curious here for a moment. You spoke about that sometimes the uh, additional length um, could be, like, not necessarily visible. Um, when it comes to sexual activity in particular, let's say, um, you know, vaginal intercourse, 
Does that length show up, so to speak, in penetrative sexual activity, or does it remain basically a non-entity um, in the sexual activity? Yeah, usually it will show up in the sense that uh, if you you push in that suprapubic fat pad, it's it's a real flexible area. And, you know, the older men get in general or more obese or things like that, you know, that will become more prominent and will make it visually look, you know, not as as noticeable. Uh, but again, yeah, with actual functional uh, intercourse or penetration, a lot of times that gets corrected as far as once that area gets pushed in. And it, it depends on how severe, you know, morbidly obese is going to be a, a kind of a different picture compared to someone who just has lax skin or just kind of age related sagginess of that area. But you're saying, generally speaking, there is some flexibility there. So not not everything is as it may seem, and there may actually be more length in a in a penis or an erection. Almost, I should say. Yep, almost always there is. Someone will come in and say, "Oh, here's my measurement," and we do a measurement, and we find out it's actually you know an inch or two longer just because of the way of measuring. Well, it's really like, important to hear, and hopefully, some of our listeners are already going to hear some feel some relief just knowing that they probably have been measuring incorrectly if this is an area that they are concerned about. Now, in terms of girth, are there any specific numbers out there? I assume that it also probably varies depending on uh, how you measure and population and you know heritage and, and whatnot. But are there any specific numbers our listeners should be aware of? A good rule of thumb is it's usually about a half inch less than your length. So if someone's you know five inches in length, then usually their girth is about four and a half inches. Um, and so that's kind of your your standard. If you said, well what's what's a you know, someone who's who's done measurements on this, what's the average that you're looking at? You're probably looking about four and a half inches is a good kind of middle of the road girth. Um, but but girth is real tricky too. So even in scientific papers, we don't even accept papers that list girth uh, because it's just so unreliable. If someone gets a really rigid erection, they're going to have a different girth compared to someone who gets a partial erection or doesn't get one at all. And so it, it's really difficult to measure. And that's circumference that we're talking about. Is that correct? That's correct. Yep. Now, there are some conditions that, you know, can really impact um, penile length or appearance of penile length. Can you tell us a little bit about what is a buried penis? What is a micro penis? Um, are they the same or these two different conditions? Yeah, and these are, again, real challenging terms because you'll see them in blogs and you'll see them on you know Facebook and Reddit and things like that. And oftentimes there isn't like a standardized definition. So so buried penis, um, most often when we talk about it from like a, a sexual medicine standpoint, it's where the penis goes into the to the body so severely that a lot of times it gets entrapped in there and can't come back out. And a lot of times this starts with real severe obesity where the, the suprapubic fat pad kind of pushes out on the penis. And then what happens is urine um, gets on that skin, that skin scars, and the penis can no longer come out. And it can be be a huge problem. I mean, you can get anything from fungal overgrowth to infections to pain to loss of penile skin and so on. So that's kind of a true buried penis. Now, there's different degrees of it. So of course, you can have like a partially buried penis or or one that retracts and then comes you know back out when you when you push on the area. But a true buried penis is that. Micro penis is, I think, a way overused term in adult urology. True micro penis is talking about kind of a pediatric condition. And someone who never underwent puberty or or had very minimal growth with puberty. And so when you see a true micropenis, I mean, literally you're talking about maybe one inch and, and not because of a fat pad, like the fat pad's normal, but the penis is like one, one and a half inches or so. And they, they look like pediatric penises. The girth is is very minimal. Um, that's a true micropenis. You don't see it very often in adults, though. Because you're saying it's, it's a, a very rare condition. 
Yeah. And again, people will use different definitions. They'll say, well, if you're below the fifth percentile, we'll call that micropenis. But true micropenis is really kind of a pediatric diagnosis that you get when you don't go through puberty and you don't get development of the penis, either because of a receptor issue or hormones or whatever. Yeah. And, and, and you know, certainly I think, I think what you're sharing is correct that the terminology is thrown around probably a lot more than the actual condition exists. That's correct. Because even if you, if you take those percentages and say, hey, I'm below the 10th percentile, well, that's for adults. But if you included true micropenis in there, you'd have a, a a limb that skews way down. It's just it's not that common. And so it doesn't factor into any of these studies when we look at measurements. Got it. Now, men notoriously underestimate their own size. What percentage of men fall into a problematically small penis category? And I understand the caveat that problematic is somewhat subjective, um, but something that would fall into a category where um, urological intervention may be indicated or necessary. Well, I think if you use that definition where you said, you know, we need to intervene, um, true problematic is probably under 5%, if even that. But, But like you mentioned, really, when someone comes to see you, one of the first things I ask on my intake questionnaire is, well, what bugs you? You know, what are your goals and and what bothers you the most? Because I found most men compare it as, as a relative term. So what were they before? And someone can be seven inches now, but if they were eight before, they're going to feel like they're, they're much less. Uh, whereas if someone was three before and they're three now, they're going to feel just fine for it. Uh, sometimes people will define that off of partner comments. You know, one of the most hurtful things I think that some of these guys come in with is if a partner says, well, I can't feel you or you know, this is this is your problem type thing that becomes real. That sticks in their mind and it becomes something that they get fixated on and, and is really difficult to treat. So, you know, some people will say, well, I can't have intercourse in certain positions. And so then technically that's a functional problematic you know, issue. But it, but it really comes down to patient perceptions and desires, I would say, more than anything else. And you see, the most common issue that's presented is not something that is, let's say, objectively or categorically a problem, but a lot of it has to do with the distress, the anxiety, the worry associated with either a like perception issue or partner feedback or or some kind of loss of length over time. Um, I would assume due to just aging or some kind of medical condition. Can I ask you to speak a little bit toward that last category? What would cause loss of length if you know, aside yeah. from measuring discrepancies, what would actually account for a legitimate loss of length? I'd say probably the most common one that you see um, is either going to be obesity, which would be one where it's more of a perceived, you know, loss of length, or diabetes, where it is a true loss of functional length. And with diabetes, you tend to get a change in the elastic tissue and it becomes more fibrous. So instead of the penis being an elastic, stretchable organ, it now is is more scarred in. And so you don't tend to get nearly as much expansion in girth or diabetes or in length. Um, aside from that, Peroni's disease is clearly one of the most common, you know, causes of loss of length. And some men there will lose one to three inches, so really dramatic and significant amounts. And then there's there's debatable areas like post prostatectomy. Someone gets their prostate cut out, and the far majority will perceive and will say that they've lost length. When we do actual length measurements, we don't see any true loss of length. And then there's kind of more rare subcategories, you know, people who get recurrent priapism, who get scar tissue in there, people who do self-injections and it causes scar tissue uh, to form. Uh, those certainly occur, but they're less common than these other ones. Yeah. So it sounds, I mean, it sounds like if we, if we were breaking these down into categories, there is perceived without actual loss of length because of things like obesity, where again, 
the you know body has kind of grown over or absorbed a little bit of the penis, but the length is still there. Then there's like actual loss. It sounds like it's really all due to scar tissue, whether it's peronies or diabetes or whatnot, some kind of additional rigidity that doesn't give the penis the elasticity to expand to its original length. And then there's like what what sounds like something along the lines of body dysmorphia, where like people have are imagining that their penises are shorter, oftentimes post the medical procedure, but there's no actual evidence to support that. And measure studies would indicate that nothing has actually been lost. Yep, I think that's a good good summary statement for sure. In your opinion, as a as a urologist who you know has treated probably a lot of men over the years, generally speaking, for you know, a healthy man who falls within the 95 percentile, is size something that men should really be worrying about? Like, how much does this actually matter? I think it kind of depends on their social situation. So so typically, when couples have been coupled for a long time and they're, they're sexually intimate partners for many years, usually the answer is no. Um, if anything, length tends to create be problematic. And and again, it kind of depends. In cases of a heterosexual couple, the um, increased penile length, the penis can uh, hit the cervix, and that can cause a lot of pain. But girth tends to be more important there. With gay couples, on the other hand, with penetration in particular, sometimes length, girth, uh, and rigidity are, are really important uh, aspects. And so a lot of it depends on the, uh, you know, where you're starting from and, and what the goals are with it. Now, in, in younger men, so those who are kind of 20s and 30s, and especially those who have multiple partners, they tend to be in this paired of atmosphere much, much more. And so for them, it, it it can be a real significant issue because um, the person they're with may have had multiple partners in the past month. And so they may have kind of direct comparisons um, compared to someone who's been with, with one partner only for 30 years, you know. So that's where it really does come down to what are the patient's objectives and goals? What, what's their background? What's important to them um, to see is this a true issue or not? Okay. I was just saying that, that let's say a man who has a... Uh four inch erection, which again is within the standard within that 95 percentile, um, but would be to the smaller side. Um, so if it's a younger man who's not in a you know long-term partner relationship, um, there is a comparative nature, which, you know, there's nothing wrong per se, but um, you know, he may be concerned about partner reactions. The partner may have had experiences with uh, men who are larger and may comment or may, you know, be less satisfied as a result. Yeah, and this is just one of, I mean, you could name pretty much anything in the body. You could say bicep size, you know, pectoral size, uh, hair growth, you know, all of those things. There, there's multiple ways that people will compare um, among others in the area, and, and penile length is, is certainly one of those. But when you say from a, a functional standpoint, um, you know, at, at four inches, uh, it's a, a non-issue because from a penetration side, if anything, again, on the heterosexual side, it ends up being a negative um, uh, when you talk about length compared to girth. Again, from a gay standpoint, it would be very different. So a lot of it just depends on you know, which. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Some men are certainly interested in ways to lengthen their penis. Is this something which is even possible? And if so, how is this done? Uh, yes, it's possible. Um, and there's there's different ways of looking at it. You can go, you know, the surgical route, which almost nobody recommends. And if you find somebody who does recommend it, be real wary of it, um, where basically you can you can cut the penis all the way around, lengthen it, and then put a graft in between it. The problem with surgery is it has a lot of real severe complications. And so you tend to do something like that in real extreme cases, if you're already putting a penile implant in, for example. 
when you look at the non-surgical side of it, uh, there are certainly a million things out there on the internet. The only thing that has reliable and consistent data is penile traction devices. And those are just like they sound, it grabs the head of the penis and it stretches it. And they certainly can work. I mean, you, you typically see about an inch increase in length uh, with them. Ongoing uh, length is achievable as well, but it tends to be really slow uh, after that initial stretching of it. Okay, so you're saying a man who's who's dedicated to increasing their length um, could potentially add up to an inch, but it's it's a slow process. Yeah, most studies would say after about three months of use, you gain about an inch, and then any ongoing use or traction beyond that will be maybe a quarter inch or something. And I think that first three months, it's basically stretching ligaments and kind of stretching thing, things out. And then ongoing use is where you actually get new growth of nerves and tissue and things like that. Okay. So Dr. Trost, if a man has a small flaccid penis, but a normal erection, meaning let's we'll even give him a, a six-inch erection. So he's above that, that average number. He's on the higher side of the standard deviation, but he's distressed by this. Is this considered an issue that would be addressable by, let's say, a traction device or surgery, or is this just a normal part of being a human being? So if the erection is, if he's satisfied with the erect length, um, then traction um, probably isn't the best uh, option for him. I mean, traction's meant to lengthen things. When when you see a normal erect length, but a, a, retra a retracted uh, flaccid length, that usually is something we call hard flaccid syndrome, which is basically someone who's real anxious or has a high adrenaline type state um, where it kind of pulls in that smooth muscle. And, and that results in a, a more kind of firm with flaccid, sometimes pain and contract the penis. But when they relax, when they have a normal erection, everything expands uh, to its normal length. If a patient comes to you and they are distressed about the size of their penis, but again, we'll say this patient is in the normal standard deviation. How do you distinguish between like a length issue and body dysmorphia? Yeah. Well, true body dysmorphia is a condition where they don't have um, insight into their condition. So they don't they don't recognize that they are essentially kind of wrong about it, you know. So they're the type that will come in and say, hey, can't you see that indent right there? Can't you see that vein right there? And we're both looking at the exact same thing. And no, I, I can't see anything abnormal. And they're the type that will, you know, I have a couple of patients like this. They'll email me at least weekly and say, you know, I have I have a real severe curve. You can see it right here. And I look at the picture and it's perfectly straight. And so that's true penile dysmorphia or body dysmorphia type disorder. They don't have insight into their condition. Um, when you look at, you know, length loss, you know, of course, that's due to some underlying cause. And that, that can be an issue. Guys who don't have true penile dysmorphia, you'll come in and they'll say, hey, I've got a 50 degree curve. I say, well, send me pictures and I'll do a measurement. and We can kind of talk more about that. They'll send the pictures and they'll say, well, it doesn't show it in this picture. And so those are ones that are probably more anxious as opposed to, um, you know, true penile dysmorphia or um, or true, you know, Peyronie's disease or some other condition like that. So you can kind of break it into different groups on the anxious versus penile dysmorphia versus a true condition. Okay. And what if it's though just by length? Forget, let's put curvature on the side for a moment. If it, if it guy comes in and says, I'm too small, um, I, you know, my, my penis just doesn't make the cut and... Like, it's clearly not the case, but he's distressed and he is of the belief that he has a self-diagnosed micropenis. Yeah. 
Well, and that's where I think it depends on what they were previously. If if someone comes in and says, hey, this is how I was before, now I've changed and I'm here, that's a little bit different than someone who has always been here and they feel they're really, really small, but in reality they're they're you know large. On the latter one, that's more like the penile dysmorphia, and that's more of a psychological condition, needs to uh, be seen and evaluated and treated along those lines. Someone who was at one area and then decreased, that one you you treat more as like an organic, what can we do from a, a length restoration standpoint? Okay. So so you're saying the real the real differentiator is if a guy comes in and says, I've always been this size, nothing's ever changed. It's just become distressing to me now. That would be something that would fall a little bit more on the psychological side, as opposed to you know, somebody who's been through you know some experience, probably physiological, that has caused actual loss of lengthening um, yeah. or actual loss of penile length. Is that correct? Yeah. So you, t- you take a condition like diabetes or peronies or whatever, and, and say someone was seven inches and they came down to five and a half, that's going to be real distressing for them. But if someone comes in at seven inches and says, hey, I'm really small, I need to lengthen, then that's going to be more the psychological um, side of it, where there's this uh, discrepancy between, you know, reality and perception. Yeah. Now, how how exactly does this traction device work? So most of them will basically secure the head because the, the head is, is attached to the, you know, corpus cavernosum or kind of the rigid part of the, the penis and then push against the base of the, of the body. So it's just like the rack from medieval times. You know, it, it grabs the, the penis and stretches it. And this type of thing has been done for literally hundreds of years. I mean, there's pictures of, of people putting rocks on the penis in uh, some tribes in Africa to, to lengthen and straight and um, extend the penis. So, so it's not a new concept at all. And it's the same as almost anything else. Braces, you can straighten teeth, you know, scoliosis, you can kind of bend things with traction devices and so it's a it's a known and established concept within medicine. Okay. And then lastly, what are the reasonable expectations? Um, I know you mentioned like that initial inch. Is that something that's the high end or is that something that a man could expect by using a traction device? And then secondly, what are the rates of success, not just measured by actual lengthening, but also by patient satisfaction post using one of these devices? Good question. So we've done a couple randomized control trials in certain populations. So we've done it specifically in peronies and post-prostatectomy and men with diabetes. We haven't done it in like a dysmorphic um, type population. And, and so I think the answer to that question would be very, very different depending on the group. On the peroni side, generally, there's a high satisfaction as far as the improvement. And in the study that we did, it was 94% increased in length. And the average was one, one inch roughly. And it ranged from, you know, anywhere from uh, about a third of an inch all the way up to two inches plus. And what I found is it depends on your baseline length. If you're real long to begin with, and you tend to get more to the one, two inches. If you're real short to begin with, you tend to get to the one half to one inch type type area for it. In other words, you're saying the, the extension is almost like a, a percentage, much more than it is actual amount added. Is that correct? That's correct. Yeah. And it tends to be in that 10% range tends to be a good kind of rough number to put to put your hand on. Okay. And then and then in terms of patient satisfaction, do you have any data that's been collected on that? Are people generally satisfied or do they say, you know, I thought it was going to be way bigger and it just didn't quite move the needle, at least get experientially? Yeah. And we do in all of our studies, we we're real focused on the subjective side of it because that's ultimately what matters, regardless of what we put down on an objective measurement it's how much does does this impact the person 
And with the the traction, generally it's been high. So, I mean, you generally have 85 plus percent that say they do it again and they're satisfied with it. When you look at how much did it improve it, um, it usually is a a split. It's around 30, 40%, say a dramatic amount, 30, 40% moderate, and then 10, 20% that'll say, you know, it's, it's, um, you know, minimal improvement with it. So, and then of course, the remainder don't, don't get any improvement. Um, So generally it's high, but keep in mind, whenever you go into a study, you like to feel like what you just did was worthwhile. Mm-hmm. So I have a feeling that if you if you took a true to life sample, it'd probably be lower than what you see in studies. That, that that makes sense. Let me just wrap up with one one final question. Mm-hmm. So if there's no loss of length versus a um, man who has experienced, let's say, certain like um, man who's experienced a prone to see some kind of scarring, is there a difference in outcome? And then is this device okay to be used? By a man who has no loss of length, but just would like to try to lengthen the penis. You know, we haven't studied it specifically in someone who's just trying to lengthen. We've only looked at it in disease states. So I, I can't answer it from a an accurate kind of scientific standpoint. There's not any danger. Like we haven't seen anything that's been, you know, dangerous on that end. And in general, those who have more severe disease have a tougher time restoring length because there's there's more significant scar tissue there. Um, so those who have kind of a lesser disease overall generally experience, you know, more length improvement. So I would guesstimate that, you know, those who who just wanted to primarily lengthen would probably do better than someone like these hard to treat groups because peronies, diabetes, and post-prostatectomy are generally considered some of the hardest to treat groups out there. Well, Dr. Trust, thank you very much. This is really informative. And, and, and this information is so important because there are so many men out there that do worry about length. Think about it. I, I've worked with patients who are obsessively... Uh, preoccupied and concerned with this. I know that it gets in the way of uh, relationships and partner sexual activity. And I think um, having just just good, accurate information from somebody like yourself who's really in this space is going to be helpful for the listeners to hear. So I appreciate your time and appreciate you joining us. Hope to have you back soon for an episode again. My pleasure. Thanks, Mark. Thanks for listening to the Erectile Dysfunction Radio Podcast. For more information on today's topic and understanding how the mind impacts erectile dysfunction, please visit ErectionIQ.com. That's ErectionIQ.com.